Good morning and happy Memorial Day weekend to you. Good to have you here. My name is Jim Jeffrey. I'm one of the pastors here at Chapel Point. And I think about this being the first of three summer holidays that are just really special. Memorial Day, 4th of July, and Labor Day. As a boy growing up in a government-subsidized housing development, it was always a really big deal for us to go uh, over the state line to New York State to Croton Falls, New York, where my great-uncle John and his wife, Aunt Bix, would put on a picnic every one of those holidays that I, I, to this day, still remember. All the hamburgers you wanted, all the hot dogs you wanted, watermelon, salads, uh, corn on the cob, and my Aunt Bix's pies. They were, it was just a great celebration. Matter of fact, that's how I thought about all those holidays until I got just a little bit older and began to realize that they had some special meaning. So for instance, when I think about um, the 4th of July, I think about more than fireworks, but this statement in the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But Memorial Day is a focus on those who gave up their rights and surrendered their lives to be able to protect us from that and be able to protect those rights. That's why, friends, cemeteries clear across America have flags that are posted there for those who gave their lives and those who served. They surrendered their rights, they gave their lives to serve their country in the armed forces. And we should honor their memory and appreciate their sacrifice. It's interesting when I think about Memorial Day and I think about that kind of yielding of rights and sacrifice, our culture today reflects the opposite. We're living in a culture full of people that are so angry, they're living as if they're shouting and shaking their fist, I've got my rights. But they often don't focus on their responsibilities that go with those freedoms. A friend of mine, Jay Lucas, described our culture as rights-intoxicated, rights-obsessed culture. If you don't think that's true, sometime on a Friday night, you ought to be in the hub of a major airline when a flight is canceled because of weather or equipment or because you have a group that didn't, uh, of, of crew that didn't show up. I want to tell you, it's just blue smoke in that kind of a place. I've been there many times in that situation. Matter of fact, I heard about a guy who was uh, wanting to get on a flight and the flight was canceled and they had just shut the door to the next flight and he was so angry and so upset that he actually went way ahead and cut in line in front of other people. And he said, excuse me, miss, I need to be on this flight. And she politely said, very professionally, yes, sir, so do the rest of the people who are in line in front of you. Now kindly take your place in the back of the line. We'll help you when it's your turn. He just put his hands on his hips. His face got even more red and he said, if I don't get on this flight, I'm going to miss my meeting. And if you make me miss my meeting, I'm going to be very angry with you. And she just quietly said, sir, we'll help you when it's your turn. And he said, do you know who I am? And she took the loudspeaker and said, ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? This gentleman at the desk doesn't seem to know who he is. <laughs> if anyone can identify him, we would all greatly appreciate your assistance. He returned to his place in line. <laughs> Friends, listen, that's just like our culture. But I want you to get this. The gospel calls us to surrender our rights and embrace our responsibilities. It, it does. And we're going we're gonna to stand together for the reading of the word of God. And I want you, as we read this passage, stand with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 to, um, to 17. 
where Paul is going to talk about rights and then he's going to talk about why and how he surrendered his rights. So if it's underlined, you get to read it, okay? Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, Peter? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should, not, should plow in hope and the thresher thresh with hope of sharing in the, in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I've made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. But I'd rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. This is the word of God. You may be seated. I want you to notice that the Apostle Paul in this passage, in the first um, six verses, is making an argument for his rights. He's, um, he asks actually 18 questions in this text, and he starts right off with a, a whole battery of them, rhetorical questions, and um, he, he begins to talk about his apostolic credentials. He said, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? And then to give proof of that, he said, I have seen Jesus our Lord. An apostle is someone who had seen the risen Christ, and Paul did on the road to Damascus. And then he says, are you not my workmanship in the Lord? Paul came to Corinth. He preached the gospel. He discipled people. He taught the word. He planted a church. He said, you are my workmanship. And he said, if others, to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are my seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Paul says, you are the proof. And he's saying, these are my apostolic credentials. I saw Christ 
Christ called me to be an apostle, and I had a ministry among you. He then begins to talk about his apostolic rights. He says, this is my defense to those who would examine me, those who would question me. He, he, he says, don't I have the right to eat and drink? Now, he's not talking about just intaking of fluid and food. He's talking about the fact that he had the right to have others provide for his food when he was traveling and ministering the gospel. That's going to become clear. He said, don't I have the right to take along a believing wife? Paul was not married, but others were. The apostles and the brothers of our Lord who, and then Cephas, Peter. He said, is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? So Paul is making an argument for rights. You know, sometimes you'll hear a preacher say or a Christian say, Christians have no rights. That's really difficult to, to understand when Paul is actually talking about his rights. He's teaching that he had rights. So when we think about personal rights, we've got to grapple with what's going on here. Paul's saying, I had rights as an apostle. I had the right to be able to have a provision of food. I had the right to be able to, to even have a wife. I had a right to be able to do that. Paul used his Roman citizenship as a basis to be able to protect himself and other believers eight times in the book of Acts. He did that in Philippi. He did that in multiple times when he was on trial. Paul claimed the rights of Roman citizenship. So Paul's argument in the passage does not seem to be that he had no rights, but rather what he did with those rights, what he did with those rights. So when you look at that, he begins then to give some illustrations, beginning at verse 7. Paul said, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? In other words, there's a right to expect provision and payment. Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? In other words, you get to enjoy the grapes and the fruit of the vine. Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Um, if you don't like goat's milk, I'll, I'll guarantee you a shepherd enjoyed it because he was a shepherd. And Paul then begins to talk about Moses teaching on this. He said, I'm saying this just on human man-made authority. Doesn't the law, the law of Moses say the same thing? And he gives this example. He said, it is written in the law of Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And then Paul asks this question, is God really that concerned about oxen? Is that his point in that? And the answer is no. Paul said, he's certainly speaking for our sake. It was written for our sake. He then uses further illustrations. He said, because the plowman, the one who plows, should plow in hope of, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing the crop. The plowman is the one who puts the plow in the ground and prepares the soil. The thresher is the one who takes the wheat and the grain and separates the chaff from that. He said, they're going to enjoy the fruit of that. They're going to eat the bread. They're going to have the benefit of it. So Paul is using all these illustrations to say, these, these illustrations, most of them from agriculture, illustrate the, the, the rights I'm talking about. In verse 11 and 12, Paul begins to transition here and gives us an example of what does it mean to yield his rights. He said, if we have sown spiritual things to you, that's his ministry of evangelism, his ministry of preaching and teaching and discipling. He said, is it too much that we reap material things from you? So his principle is this, those who are ministering the gospel, those who are who are giving pastoral leadership or missionary leadership ought to be able to have the provision of that so that they can continue on their ministry. That's what he's, what he's talking about. 
He said, if others share this rightful claim on you, don't we even more because of our ministry in Corinth? So Paul talks about this. He said, listen, the rights that I have, uh, those, those rights were, were something that were real in my life. The word translated rights here is a word that's often translated authority. Same word for authority. Only in this context, it really means control over something, freedom of choice and right. And Paul says, don't we have that right? It actually was used for government authority. It was used when Jesus was asked, by what authority do you, do you cleanse the temple? Same exact word. He said, we have these rights. Matter of fact, seven times in this chapter, Paul uses this word saying, I had rights as an apostle. So this is what's established first is Paul arguing for his rights. But then I want you to notice, he then restates them. He restates his rights. He says, listen, he said, listen, if, as, I, as I think about this, if I preach the gospel, gives me no ground for boasting. He said, back up in verse, um, verse 13, he said, those who serve in the temple, priests, get their food from the temple. They, they partake of the sacrificial system. That's where they get their food. They serve at the altar, share in the sacrificial offering. So Paul, again, is illustrating this, this thing of having the rights to expect provision. But watch what he does. He said, in the same way, the Lord, the Lord Jesus, that is, commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. So some people say, well, why should pastors or missionaries receive income for doing that? And, and um, Paul is here arguing it's important to be able to have them serve and to be able to do what they need to do in terms of their ministry. But Paul, Paul then talks about yielding his rights, yielding his rights. Look back in, um, in verse um, 13. Paul uh, talked about, nevertheless, verse 12, first of all, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. We have not made use of this right. Down in verse 15. He said, but I've made no use of any of these rights. And at the end of the text today, he says it a third time. So Paul is saying this, I, I've, I've argued for my rights, but now I'm going to tell you that I yielded my rights. You got to see the tension that's going on in this passage. You see, Paul is telling us, he said, and, and, and by the way, friends, if, if we had no rights, then we have nothing to yield. Paul is not arguing that we had no rights. He's arguing that we yielded our rights. You see the difference? If, if a Christian has no rights, then there's nothing to yield. But he said we had rights as an apostle, but we yielded them to God. And his motivation for doing that is the gospel itself. His motivation is the gospel. After making this principle known, Paul says, listen, he, he said, I'm not writing to secure provision for myself, but to establish a pattern for others. Paul is yielding his rights to financial provision. He said, listen, I'm not boasting. He, he said, the Lord commanded, commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should make their living by the gospel. I made no, but I've made no use of these rights. I'm writing these things to secure, I'm not writing these things to secure any such provision. Paul did have provision from the church at Philippi. There were other churches like the church in Thessalonica that actually helped support him, but he got no such support from the church at Corinth. And he said, I'd rather die than anybody deprive me of my ground for boasting. That's a strong statement. Paul said, I'd rather actually die than to have you, you in Corinth begin to take away my ground for boasting. And it's kind of a paradox because the next thing he said, 
For if I preach the gospel, it gives me no ground for boasting. He said, I don't want you to take away my boasting that I'm doing this without payment. But he said, I really have nothing to boast of but through preaching the gospel. Paul then begins to focus on why the gospel transformed him in terms of his rights. And I, and I think for all of us, this is a, a very crucial thing for us to understand. Paul said, I didn't claim my rights. I didn't make use of my rights. He said, I focused on my responsibilities. Now, the gospel is mentioned in this passage, the entire passage, the entire chapter, multiple, multiple times. Nine times in this chapter, Paul uses the word gospel. And so after talking about his rights, he's now giving the motivation for yielding his rights. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. Look at what he said. Paul is, Paul is arguing that the reason he yielded his rights is because of the gospel. He said there's a necessity on me to be able to preach the gospel. Verse 10, if I preach the gospel, it gives me no ground for boasting. Necessity, it is a requirement, it is a responsibility laid on me. And then he says, woe to me, which is a strong statement of judgment or punishment if I don't preach the gospel. Paul said, this is my responsibility. He then talks about, if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if I don't do it with my will, I still have a stewardship, a management responsibility of the gospel. So Paul is really focusing in on his responsibilities because of the gospel. He then says there's a reward for preaching the gospel. What then is my reward? That in preaching him I present the gospel free of charge. So Paul went to Corinth and he did not receive an income for his ministry there. He made money through tent making along with Priscilla and Aquila. He had a trade that he could do, and that's how he engaged with the culture, how he engaged in the marketplace. And Paul made his money doing that until some other funds came from places like Philippi so he could give himself freely to, the, to evangelism and ministry. So Paul said, I had, a, I had a reward is doing that. And he said, I had a desire to preach the gospel free of charge, verse 18, to make full use of my right in the gospel. Now, Here's what I want you to see. Paul argues for his rights in order to establish a pattern that those who, those who ministered the gospel should live of the gospel. But then he says, I yielded my rights and I embraced my responsibilities because of the gospel. I yielded my rights and I embraced my responsibilities because of the gospel. So friends, we need to ask ourselves a question. Are we claiming our rights or are we yielding our rights? The gospel that is to transform your eternal destiny and break the bondage of sin in your life is also to break your grip on personal rights so that you willingly and voluntarily yield your rights to God. If the gospel doesn't transform you in that way, then God has a deeper work to do of the gospel in you. And many Christians live their lives claiming their rights and ignoring their responsibilities. The next time you are angry, ask yourself, what rights am I claiming? Am I focusing on my responsibilities in this relationship at work or in marriage or in parenting or in friendship or in the church or in the community or when I'm driving my car down 196? Am I claiming my rights or am I surrendering my rights in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And let me argue for this. Jesus 
set an example for us, a pattern of yielding our rights. He yielded his rights in the incarnation. He yielded the rights to glory and worship and splendor of heaven and took upon himself humanity and became a servant. We read earlier Philippians chapter 2. That very passage talks about Jesus becoming a servant, taking upon himself humanity. He yielded his rights willingly. That's the gospel. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, if it be possible, take this cup of suffering from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus yielded his rights in the garden. On the cross, Jesus yielded his rights. Normally, when someone was crucified, they would be crying down curses on those who crucified them or pleading for mercy. Jesus did neither. There was no anger expressed on the cross. He rather, rather on the cross, the Bible says in John chapter 10 and verse 18, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. Jesus did not die because he was murdered. He did not die because he was martyred. Jesus laid down his life willingly, yielding his rights to the Father for the purpose of our redemption. And Jesus fulfilled his responsibilities as our Savior. Aren't you glad he did? In Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28, Jesus said that he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus is the model in the gospel of what it is he had those rights. Did Jesus not have the rights to be worshipped as God? Did he not have the right to be believed on as a son of God? Did he not have the right to have people? And Jesus yielded his rights to the Father so that we could be saved. That same gospel is to transform us. The very same gospel of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, it's so fascinating to me when you read the gospels, when Jesus predicts his suffering and death, he then would often tell the disciples, oh, by the way, there's a cross for you too. You can check that out in Luke chapter 14. You can check it out in John chapter 12, where Jesus actually says in that passage, he uses the, the, the metaphor of germination. He said, except a grain of wheat falls in the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And that's after talking about his cross. But then he says, if you don't lay down your life, if you don't lay down your life. And so we are to live a crucified, risen life. Friends, for many believers, the implications of the gospel has never really hit their heart in this way. And I'm calling you to it today. I'm calling you to live the gospel in your daily life in terms of how you deal with the question of your personal rights and your responsibilities. As a husband or a wife, as a parent, as a worker, as a citizen in your life, are you living by your rights or are you living by your responsibilities? And so we partook of the Lord's table, a reminder of what Christ did for us. But there's a response that it calls from you, that you also are to yield your rights. Galatians 2.20 says this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I want you to know in my younger life, I grew up as a very angry young man. That's what I saw modeled in manhood. I played four different athletic sports, and that was actually encouraged by our coaches. You get your, get your adrenaline pumping, you get a little anger going there. And claiming my rights was a characteristic of my life. I love to argue my rights. I like to defend my rights. I'd fight for my rights. Until the gospel of Jesus Christ began to transform me in a new way. 
And friends, I want to invite you into that. I want to invite you into that. Today, when I find myself getting angry, I ask myself the question, what right am I claiming? And as God called me in the gospel to yield that right to him, and it's changing my life continually. I wish I could say, friend, it was just like a light switch. You throw the switch and it's done. It's more like a rheostat. You got to kind of keep turning it. You got to keep working on it. Do you know, today is the day of Pentecost, the day when the Holy Spirit came upon 120 people in an upper room and the tongues of fire on every head. What does that represent? It represents the glory of God like the pillar of, of, of fire in the Old Testament on the tabernacle. But now it's on 120 people and it's going to spread the baptism of the Spirit. People speaking in languages that they had never spoken, known languages to proclaim the gospel of Christ. And the church was born. The Holy Spirit, friend, didn't come to create a people full of rights-claiming angry people but to multiply Christ followers who emulate his character, yieldedness, and gospel-centered sacrifice. That's why the Spirit of God came, to change us. In response to the gospel, am I ready, are you ready to yield your rights and embrace your responsibilities? Are you ready to do that? Am I wanting to have the gospel fleshed out in my life in an incarnational ministry? If so, yield your rights. Am I ready to live a crucified life? If so, friends, yield your rights. Do you desire to live in the power of Christ's resurrection? Then, friend, yield your rights. Are you committed to having a life of influence for Christ? Then yield your rights and take up your responsibilities. Oswald Chambers understood this, and in his great book, the, My Utmost for His Highest, said this, the first thing I must be willing to admit when I begin to examine what controls and dominates me is that I am the one responsible for having yielded myself to whatever it may be. If I'm a slave to myself, I'm to blame because someone in the past, I've yielded to myself. Likewise, if I obey God, I do so because at some point in my life, I yielded myself to him. When you yield to something, you soon realize the tremendous control it has over you. Hear that again. When you yield to something, you begin to recognize the tremendous control it has over you. But yielding to Jesus will break every kind of slavery in a person's life. It is by yielding that slavery to yourself is broken. Friends, when it comes to the Christian life, I'm my own worst enemy. I'm my own worst enemy, which is why I got to get up every morning and die to self, to live a risen life. When I yield my rights, I replace anger for spiritual passion. The chains of my selfishness are broken, and I have freedom to love others sacrificially. When I yield my rights, the gospel shines through my life with transparency. Friends, this world, this culture, West Michigan, needs to see an army of people who have taken up the cross, and they're, and they're yielding their rights to Christ, and taking up their responsibilities, the implications of the gospel for everyday life. So people see the gospel lived, and they hear the gospel shared, and they see it in our homes, and they see it in the way we work. They see it in our lives. Friends, what is gonna bring spiritual awakening in this culture is people that are not just believing the gospel for a changed destiny, but living the gospel for a transformed life. That's what we need to see, friends. That's what we need to see. And you can't do that by living an anger-filled life. You can't do that by gripping your rights. You have rights, friends, but the gospel calls me to yield them. And the gospel calls me to embrace my responsibilities. So, friends, I'm calling you to this. Memorial Day ought to remind you and me of this. Take up your cross. Die to yourself. 
and be alive in Jesus Christ in the power of a resurrected life empowered by the Holy Spirit. Friends, that will change our homes. That will change our neighborhoods. That will change our schools and places of work. That will change our area when that is characterizing the people of this church. Friends, it's time. It is time to take up your cross and follow Jesus. Rights-claiming Christians are a contradiction in term, but crucified risen Christians are a life-transforming power. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the way that you continue to change our lives. We want to take up our cross and follow you. Forgive us, Lord, for the anger in our lives because we're focusing on ourselves and our rights. May the gospel change us. May Christ's example transform us. May Paul's challenge here challenge us to see our responsibilities in light of the cross. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.